Where do you see yourself stacking up against the Julios and the Odells and the Michael Thomas's in the league? I mean, I'm, I played against both of those guys last year. We beat the Falcons. Uh, obviously, we lost to the Saints uh, in the last, you know, field goal towards the end of, uh, you know, regulation. I definitely think I'm the best. I know I'm the best. Um, you know, Mike, my boy, I love Mike. We was chasing yesterday, but he know if I had Drew Brees my whole career. Uh, All caps. What these, what, these, what these numbers would be. Uh, Julio Jones, though, if I had Matt Ryan my whole career. That's my boy. I trained with Julio, too. He know what these numbers would be. So, uh, you know, those guys are definitely blessed to be in a position where their whole career, they had a, uh, a Pro Bowl quarterback, quarterback that they uh, spent, you know, multiple seasons with. Uh, you know, but I don't complain. I don't make excuses. I go out and work. Happy Friday. What's going on, everybody? It is May 29th, 2020, and starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time this morning, we are getting to witness 64 straight hours of Derek Jeter coverage all throughout the weekend. I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend, but we are riding into this Derek Jeter-esque weekend commemorating um, his 25th anniversary uh, of uh, his debut. And it's great because it's the captain. It's Derek Jeter. What else could you ask for? They're showing 13 of his all-time, you know, top memorable games, his first hit, his first walk-off, all those types of things, okay? And it's basically like MLB Network is looking at ESPN and saying, oh, you want to show 10 hours of Michael Jordan in a documentary? Well, we'll take those 10 hours and we'll raise you 64 hours of Derek Jeter. So if you're bored at home looking for something to watch, there's going to be some live sports on this weekend as well. There's a, another uh, documentary on tonight, a nice E60. I'll talk about it at the at the tail end of the show, but there's going to be some stuff on a soccer starting to get back rolling. If that's your thing, there's been NASCAR galore, um, almost every day. So there's a lot to talk about, but if you're looking for your sports fix, go to MLB network and you'll see nothing but Derek Jeter and New York Yankees coverage through the weekend. Okay. What you guys just listened to right there at the top of the show, that was Deandre Hopkins. Okay. In an interview, he was not holding back. He said he is the best wide receiver in the NFL, and I have to say I agree. What he is, what he was able to do in Houston was unimaginable with the the um, carousel of different quarterbacks that they put in there. Yeah, he had the, uh, yeah he had uh, Watkins okay for the last couple of years, but realistically, um, the what he was able to do, and if he did have a Matt Ryan or a Drew Brees for his whole career, his numbers would be skyrocketing off the charts. So I tend to agree with him, and I thought that would be a good opening for today's show. So without further ado, let's jump right in because, hey, it's been a a fun-filled week of sports. We're starting to finally slowly roll back into things, and so uh, we'll get started here with uh, a little bit of college news. The Big 12 announced June 15th is going to be the day players can return to campus, okay? The SEC 
also plans to open a bit earlier, about a week earlier on June the 8th. The conference announced on fr- uh, announced this on Friday that athletes can begin using facilities on campus for voluntary workouts under strict supervision of designated university personnel developed by each school. Okay, I believe this is the commissioner of the SEC. Let me cue this up for you right now. Um, here it is. Uh, the issues are health and safety of our student athletes. And that's, that's a big picture perspective. It is young people who've had the foundation of their experience really pulled away in mid-March. What's the appropriate way to bring people back to campus? How do we pay attention to their health, make sure that they're in the appropriate health circumstances to come back? How do we have social distancing, the right hygiene, all of that present in our facilities? And that's why the effort to, to take time to study, to think, to communicate, and also to decide has been so important for this conference. So there you have that. Also, some transfer uh, news, some notable news here is former Georgetown guard Mac McClung has officially announced he will be transferring to Texas Tech. When he first announced he was going pro, um, and then he announced that he was going to be coming back to school, okay, he it, it didn't take long for him to then announce he was going to be entering the transfer portal. It was a bit of an up-and-down spiral. I don't know who told him to go pro. I don't know who told him to come back, then who told him to transfer. But here's what I will say. I think it's a big mistake. I first got excited when I heard he'd be transferring because coming out of high school, Mac McClung signed with Rutgers. He announced his intent to go to Rutgers. It was a verbal commit, I believe. And then he pulled that and decided to go to Georgetown. And he really upped his game last season. I think averaged like 15 points. He's a high-flying uh, dunking. He dunks. He could pass. Uh, he could, he could, uh, his, sh- his shot is all right. It'll develop, but uh, he's got a good solid game. And, um, he, you know, coming out of high school, he sort of went viral a little bit because of his high-flying dunks and his long-range shooting for a white kid. Um, so I was hoping he'd go to Rutgers, and now he announced, and then he announced like six or seven schools, and Rutgers wasn't on the list. And I was a bit shocked because Rutgers was well on their way to uh, their first NCAA tournament. Okay, they um, had that unbelievable home record, the best in the nation, right? Couldn't be beat. We're going to make their first NCAA tournament. And I'm shocked that he announced that he was going to join Chris Beard's uh, group there at Texas Tech because, yeah, they have a nice little team, but Rutgers was better. And I got to say, this is a mistake. And I think he should have chose Rutgers because he would have fit in well. And it's 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 his loss because Rutgers is going to move on with Adam. They're going to have an even better season uh, when college basketball gets back underway, whenever that may be. And they're going to make an NCAA tournament. And Texas Tech may or may not. But uh, Rutgers probably will. So um, that's his loss. But it is interesting because under standard transfer rules, he has to sit out a season unless he's able to obtain um, an immediate uh, waiver request in which then he could he could play immediately, which we're starting to see the NCAA come around on that a little bit um, where they started to grant those immediate requests so players can play immediately upon transferring. I really hope they do fix that rule so that a player isn't penalized for transferring because I think it's a load of BS personally. But Mac McClung, I saw an article on CBS that Mac McClung, um, his statement as 
part uh, as to why he's transferring. Usually these kids will talk about their basketball and they're stuck they're stuck on the bench and they just want a chance to play and they have a better chance to play if they go here and this and that, right? Well, McClung didn't really talk much about basketball at all. In fact, he said that he uh, it was a number of different events that made him feel he had no choice but to transfer from Georgetown. He went on to say he really wanted to stay, but things throughout his career made him realize that he couldn't. Whether you want to believe that or not, that's fine. I'm calling BS. I think it's just a ploy for him to get that waiver request and play immediately next season for Texas Tech for the Red Raiders. Um I think he realized once he wasn't going to be able to go pro, wasn't going to get drafted, and came back, he realized, I want a chance to go to an NCAA tournament. I've been at Georgetown two years, and we haven't done jack. Um, okay, Patrick Ewing has been here three years. He's what got he's a got a 49 and 46 record. Okay, this team is coming off a 15 and 17 season. McClung now, mind you, is the fifth player out of Georgetown to transfer out of the program since December. So I don't know what Patrick Ewing's doing over there or uh, at Georgetown right now, but that that program is a mess, and um, they've only got two starters returning from last year's team that, like I said, went 15 and 17. So I think you have to say it's it, suffice it to say that uh, Patrick Ewing is on the hot seat if they don't if they don't win this season. Um, it, it's been a tough go of it lately for, for Patrick Ewing because when McClung came back he said uh, everything was fine and then all of a sudden the, it's announced that he's transferring out now you find out this past week that he was in the hospital Patrick Ewing because he did contract the coronavirus he has since left the hospital I assume he's doing well but who knows he's a bit overweight so that's a little bit scary there so yeah uh, tough times of it for Patrick Ewing and, and the Georgetown Hoyas right now okay um, one more transfer to talk about and that's uh in college football and we take it over to the west coast and usc and former five-star quarterback jt daniels he is transferring out of usc and he will be headed to athens georgia okay he is the second transfer quarterback to join the georgia bulldogs in january former uh wake forest quarterback jamie newman uh, transferred over as a grad transfer. He is actually eligible to play immediately. Um, it's yet to be determined if JT Daniels will get a waiver request so that he can compete for the starting job. But um, he is a redshirt sophomore, has three years of eligibility remaining after missing all but one game in 2019 because of a knee injury. He will have to... Um, you know, like I said, if he gets that waiver, he'll have to compete with not only Newman, but I believe there's three other quarterbacks on that roster, another senior, and then a couple younger guys, including a, uh, a top five um, pocket passing quarterback in the nation, I believe. Okay, um, so a little bit about JT Daniels. He was a five-star recruit out of Santa Anna, California, where he went to uh, Modern Day High School, well-known, powerful uh, sports program there powerful uh football team he graduated a year early to head to USC I believe he's just the second true freshman starting uh to, to start an opener for USC ever um I want to say uh, maybe Sam Darnold was the first um but I could be wrong now that I think about it I might be wrong on that but anyway not important he threw for 2887 yards with 15 touchdowns and 11 interceptions while completing 60.7% of his passes in 12 starts over two seasons at USC 
He did suffer a knee injury in the 2019 opener and was then replaced by freshman Caden Slovis, who ended up having a really nice year where he threw for 30 touchdowns and nine interceptions. So I'm assuming Daniel saw the writing on the wall that he was not going to be the starter and decided to get out of there. And um, yeah, so Georgia is the place. We'll see how that works out for him. Okay, let's talk NFL right now. The Dak Prescott contract saga continues. Both sides have until July 15th to get something finalized. The Cowboys did place the franchise tag on Dak back in March. Both sides do, it seems like they want a long-term deal, but the Cowboys want him for longer than he wants to, I guess, be a Cowboy. Um, Interesting, but uh, yeah. According to my sources, the primary obstacle in getting a deal done remains the length of the contract. Prescott wants no more than a four-year contract. Jerry Jones and the Cowboys want a five-year contract or more. One source told me that while there's no agreement on the money, they're close enough on a per-year average salary that they're within striking distance and believe that there is a deal to be made before the July 15th deadline. So it looks like the Cowboys want five, Dak only wants four. Dak, this this whole situation is becoming um, just unhinged. I'm over it. I think that Dak has become extremely greedy. This is a guy we're talking about was a fourth-round draft pick. Granted, you're not Tom Brady guy, okay? Can't live off of $30 million. Now you're declining $45 million a year. Like, this is absurd. Take the deal already one more year? What is one more year? You want to get back on the open market when you're still young enough to to get an even bigger contract from Jerry Jones? Uh, you know, that, that that's ridiculous. So anyway, the reason that I, I, I feel this way is, is that there's a lot of, and I'm not the only one, there's a lot, there's a real serious debate and a lot of debate around Dak Prescott and whether he is his top 10 or top 15 quarterback in the league. Like I said, he was a fourth round pick. He wasn't viewed upon that highly, but then different various injuries and such worked out in his favor that he became the starter and he took it and ran with it. He's got a top O-line, a top running back, and let's just face it, you know, he doesn't have to do too much. Granted, he stepped up in the last couple of years and he's sort of proven himself. But if you really want to look at the numbers, and if you and this is what I would be doing if I was if I was Jerry Jones and company, right? I'd be going to Dak and say, We're offering you more than plenty full deal. Okay. Let me break it down for you, Dak. If you want to walk and you want to go elsewhere, that's fine. I'm sure someone will pay you, but let's just let's just look at the numbers for a second. You were the only quarterback to start all 16 games last season but record zero that's right zero game winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime and it's not like you didn't have any opportunity to do so Dak you were 0 for 9 on potential game tying or go ahead drives mic drop enough said take the damn deal and stop being so greedy Okay, moving right along. Over the weekend, we had a bit of a... Golf is garbage. Tiger watch. So, Tiger, how did you play today? Well, got off to kind of a slow start. Tiger now. Tiger. Wow. Tiger. Hey, hey. Tiger. Oh, Tiger didn't win. It didn't even make Sunday exciting. Okay, we had a little Tiger watch over the weekend in the match Champions for Charity. That was extremely awesome and fun to watch. It it was just cool watching these guys. You, so you had Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning 
facing off against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady in a, you know, like I said, they dubbed, they dubbed it Champions for Charity. It is basically the match to rematch between Tiger and Phil. They did this last year in which Phil won. Phil uh, thought he was going to give uh, Tiger something to think about every time he went to his home course by giving him yet another win, but uh, it was awesome. They raised about $20 million for COVID relief, and um, just seeing these guys riding their own carts, you know, not carrying their bags, but they were riding, they were wearing shorts, they looked like me or you out there on the golf course, and to hear Phil um, coaching up Tiger, I mean coaching up uh, Tom Brady and Peyton getting some advice from Tiger, and, and Phil basically explaining how he's going to hit this sh- this certain shot and kind of teaching us as he goes along, um, it was really fun, and uh, man, Tom Brady, he had a rough start, and I felt for him because we've all been there, he looked like me or you out there on the links. Uh, on Sunday, and, uh, you know, he's shanking his shots, he's chunking balls, hitting them two feet in front of him, and, man, were people poking fun on social media. I saw Sean Payton tweeted out that he really loves this uh, Florida Tom Brady now, and it couldn't really get any worse, but, man, Tom Brady, is he not the GOAT or what? Because when just when you think things can't get worse, everybody's counting him out on social media? No. The par 5, 7th hole, Brady sinks his 4th shot for birdie from about 100 yards out. He couldn't believe it. I don't think his pants could believe it because while he was celebrating, he bends down to pick up the ball out of the hole and he splits his pants. Can't make this stuff up, uh, but Brady had some fun with it later on. Uh, things really got got fun um, when the announcers brought in Russell Wilson for an interview mid-match. It was the par 3 16th hole. Russ decided to pledge 100,000 meals for every ball that landed within 12 feet of the hole. This also happened to be a $25 million hole-in-one challenge. First was Brady leading things off. He nails it perfectly within 12 feet. Russell Wilson is like, there's 100,000 meals right there. Okay. Okay, then Phil gets up there, the lefty, smack right on, even closer within 12 feet, that's 200,000 meals from Russell Wilson, and then Peyton Manning steps up to the tee box, he hits his ball, and I tell you, if he got any roll out of that thing, it would have been a hole in one, gets it to within about, you know, six feet, not even, and, uh, then who would have thunk it of all four of them, Tiger Woods, the only one to not land the ball within 12 feet. So just so awesome right there. Russell Wilson pledging 300,000 meals to those who need them most. But like I said, it was a fun match all the way through. Phil and Tom Brady, mostly Tom Brady, struggled throughout in the beginning, but they were da- they were down three early, turned it on a little bit in the back nine. Like I said, that seventh hole, Brady, he uh, sunk that uh, long shot for birdie, and then he made a long putt on 11 to get them back within one, but... Um, they tried their hardest, but it was in the end, it was Tiger and Peyton who were just better throughout the day, and they end up winning by one stroke. And uh, again, it was just a really fun experience, and Phil Mickelson talked about them doing it again next year with even more stars and even more people, so I really look forward to it. It was really a fun day, and if you got to watch it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, let's let's move right along and talk more NASCAR. I know if you hate NASCAR, sorry, but it's it, it's been all the talk. They've got seven races in 11 days, and they're really pushing this thing out. And let's talk Coca-Cola 600. 
This took was taking place in Charlotte. Drivers were honoring fallen military veterans by, you know, putting their names on their cars, which was so awesome, so cool to see. Denny Hamlin had a really rough start. Before the race even started, a piece of tungsten flew off his car during the pace laps. I will talk more about that in a bit. Um, he had to return to pit row to have it put back in to add some weight, but there would be consequences. Um, let's move along right uh, right ahead to lap 97. Clint Boyer crashes into the wall. Car goes up in flames. Luckily, he's able to jump out unscathed, but the car uh, would be totally destroyed. It was Brad Keselowski and Jimmy Johnson battling for first, but in the end, Keselowski was able to edge edge Jimmy Johnson and hold on for his 31st Cup Series win. Um, here's more on that Denny Hamlin situation. These are pieces of metal that are bolted to the car's chassis so the car makes minimum requirement weight-wise in order to compete per NASCAR's rulebook. And when they come dislodged, they do major damage or have the potential to. So with that comes major penalties. According to NASCAR's rulebook, it's a four-race suspension to the crew chief of that car. So there you have that. They were, I think, suspended the next day. Um, so they would be working to they work to replace those guys. Um, yeah, just a tough blow there. Then on Wednesday, let's move this along. On Wednesday, the NASCAR Cup Series was back at Charlotte, but that was canceled due to rain. So they pushed it to yesterday being Thursday. There was a bit of rain as well. So they had to push it back. There was about a 75 minute rain delay or so, but things eventually got underway. Chase Elliott was able to close on Kevin Harvick with about 27 laps to go. And he did in fact secure the victory over Denny Hamlin, who we coincidentally just talked about. This is the same track that Elliott almost nearly celebrated victory on Sunday, if you remember, um, if not for a caution flag that ended that race early. It was Elliott's first cup win of the season, and he was ecstatic. It's special. I mean, uh, you know, I feel like we've had some we've had some tough losses in my first five years racing in cup, and uh, those those tough losses make you appreciate every win, no matter if it's the Coca-Cola 600 or or a, or a regular season race. I mean, it doesn't have to be a crown jewel event to really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, what a week it's been for Chase Elliott chasing the wins, man. Um, I mean, just just epic. Uh, he's just the second driver in the last five years to win the Cup and Truck Series at the same track in the same week. He finished Sunday's race in second place, as I just mentioned. Then on Tuesday, he won the Truck Series, and yesterday he wins the Cup Series. So quite a week for uh, thus far for, for Chase Elliott. Okay, moving right along. What is the state of sports uh, this week? Uh, are we getting anywhere closer? Well, Andrew Cuomo would like to think so. On Sunday, he said teams can reopen their training facilities. New York has been hit particularly hard. Obviously, you know they're the hardest hit in the country, but deaths and new infections have been trending slowly downward. Uh, I believe that uh, sports that can come back without having people in the stadium, without having people in the arena, do it. Do it. Work out the economics if you can. We want you up. We want people to be able to watch sports. We are working and encouraging all sports teams to start their training camps. And just hours after that announcement, the Brooklyn Nets announced that they were opening their training facility on Tuesday. 
Only four players max are allowed in the space at any one point per NBA guidelines. The Nets will become the 20th team to reopen their practice facility. And also this week, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy announced that professional sports teams can begin training camps as long as they follow the proper precautions and safety guidelines. Okay, let's get to Major League Baseball because we have a lot of developments with what the heck is going on. Is there going to be a season this year or not? And it's really the one major sport that has seen a lot of hiccups in terms of um, the union and the league, and it's all surrounding money. Um, This thing could get ugly before it gets any better, and it's unfortunate. But we'll start with the good first, then we'll get into the bad, then the ugly. The Nationals, the Washington Nationals, unveiled their World Series rings through a virtual ceremony on Sunday. The ring, of course, it's gaudy, it's ridiculous, it has all those diamonds, it's big as hell. But what I didn't expect to see on it was Baby Shark, the children's song that became somewhat of a rallying cry for the team, Fans ate it up. You saw those fans dressing as as Baby Shark. Um, so yeah, they put it on the ring, and now I've got that song stuck in my head all day. Okay, so let's really get into the crux of this, the, the main issue surrounding baseball right now, the idea of baseball returning this year. Is it going to happen or not? It looks like all the other leagues are going to get back into the swing of things, but baseball, it's not looking good. And what is the problem behind this? Well, of course, I said it's it's salary. Um, the league's first economic plan involved a sliding scale of sorts. That was really earlier this week or over the weekend. So this is just this is just what it is. The 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 league the highest paid players would would obviously take the biggest pay cuts here, the biggest hit. The league is proposing that these highest paid players get less than 80% of their 2020 owed salary. I mean, that's kind of, it's ridiculous, really. The most extreme example would see somebody that's set to make $35 million this year make just $7.84 million. And I say just, it's it's still a lot of money, but comparing, you know, 35 to 7, a little less than $8 million is is a big difference. Um, here's Jeff Passan on what this means in what's expected to be a back and forth between MLB and the Players Association. And let me tell you, it's one that the players are not happy with at this point. They were hoping not for MLB to come to them and say, yes, we're going to give you your full prorated salary as they would hope for, but they were at least expecting less significant cuts than the league did propose. And this is going to make for an awfully interesting week or two weeks ahead as baseball tries to figure out whether it can bridge this gap and actually have a 2020 season. Then on, I want to say maybe Wednesday or yesterday, Max Scherzer, not happy with this proposal. Obviously, the players are not going to be happy that are making all this money. He takes to Twitter to say, after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with the MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries. Well, we could argue that they haven't um, negotiated any pay cut because they haven't taken a pay cut just yet. Anyway, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. 
Okay. So basically, the players want a 100-game season with their full prorated salary that they had originally agreed to. Well, do you get paid at your job for not showing up? No, you get paid for doing the work. So if you're not going to play 182 games this season, you don't deserve your full salary. I'm not saying to cut it 80%, but it's ridiculous. Take what you can get and, and move on. This is your job. Your job is to play baseball for a living. Just do your damn job. Okay, here's more from Jeff Passan. They're mad. They're mad at the offer that Major League Baseball made, and they're not going to sit here and say, oh, we'll be conciliatory. We'll come and meet you in the middle. No, they want to go back to Major League Baseball and say, we're not going to accept this. Okay, Scott Boris, the primo um, agent for all the top players, he sent an email to his clients yesterday reminding them that they hold all the cards and I quote remember games cannot be played without you let owners take some of their record revenues and profits from the past several years and pay you the prorated salary you agreed to accept so again I don't see this um, changing anytime soon this is going to get ugly Uh, it's going to go back and forth for some time and while all the other sports are slowly getting back into the swing of things and, and have given dates on when they're going to get back to playing, Major League Baseball and the Players Union are going back and forth over salary. And yet you have people that are sitting at home like myself and others that, well, I'm not out of work, but you have people sitting at home that aren't working. Okay, and they aren't getting paid and they're having to go on unemployment and they're losing their jobs and they're losing their businesses. And these guys are complaining about possibly earning seven million, almost eight million dollars compared to thirty five. It's kind of a joke, if I might add. So if I might say so myself. And so I said um, that this was going to get from bad to worse. Well, here's the worst. Hundreds of minor league baseball players were cut yesterday and basically fired and laid off, and hundreds more are expected to lose their jobs as well. So we're talking into the thousands, and these are players that often get overlooked from their, the big league clubs, but they are human beings too, and they've got families to feed as well. This comes as they grapple with the reality that their season is probably over. So unfortunately, in the minor leagues, the, the, the minor league seasons are probably not going to resume. Okay, hopefully we get a Major League Baseball season in 2020, but the minor league teams, they're most likely done because it's tough for these teams, for the minor leagues as it is, to survive. They have to do all these promotions to get the fans into the stadiums, and, and, and they really promote it towards the young kids, bring your you know family fun nights and things of that nature. So if you brought back minor league seasons, there wouldn't be they wouldn't be allowed to bring fans back so i don't they they probably would not be able to survive and that's why they're having to lay off all these players and this was seen coming because weeks prior and leading up to this front office staff and game day workers have also been laid off so yeah it's it's not a good look for major league baseball by any stretch of the imagination uh, let's move on and let's talk some NBA. We just got some good news, some sort of breaking news that just came out less than an hour ago that I'll get to in just a minute. Uh, the players in the NBA, this is the difference between the NBA and Major League Baseball. The NBA players actually want to get back to work. They want to get back on the field. It's it, it's tough because the, the MLB players, they say they want to get back out there, but then they argue about money. So at least the NBA 
players are not arguing about the money and they're willing to get back out there. They want to play because they were in the middle of their season, mind you, near the end of the season and playoff time. So there is one player, though, who is who has said that who came out and said that if the Blazers don't have a chance to make the playoffs, he will not come back. He will support his team, but he will not play. And I'm not really sure what he's talking about, considering that uh, Portland, um, we're talking Damian Lillard, I don't know if I said that, but uh, Portland was in ninth place. Top eight teams usually make the playoffs, but the way that this is looking, they're going to add some extra teams and they might go straight to the playoffs or however they're going to work it. The Portland Trailblazers will be fine. They will have a chance to play in the playoffs. And they were three and a half back at the time that they stopped the season. So they should be okay. And Woj did, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski did confirm that, that um, there's they, they talked about this. And there's no, no reason for Damian Lillard not to come back because the Portland Trailblazers should be in the playoffs or at least have a chance. There's no situation that Portland is going to be in in Orlando where they wouldn't have a chance to be in the playoffs or have a chance to to compete, whether it's in a play-in tournament or pool play. So uh, that's going to be uh, addressed. Uh, they're not going to bring them back to not have a chance. And the commissioner knows that. And that's as big of a part of this as, as any. How many teams in a league can you give a, a legitimate opportunity to to get into the postseason? I think the traction on having all 30 teams in Orlando has waned over the last several days. So yeah, um, it looks like right now that the league is going to resume in Orlando in this bubble or biosphere. They're going to have these teams there for the most part. Um, they're working on this plan, which will allow families in Orlando, um, which is which is a nice touch. This will allow players to have a limited number of family members join them. I'm not sure how many, but probably wife and kids, however many that might be. There's no timetable set, but it could be after the first set of teams have been eliminated. So whether they bring in 24 teams or 20 teams, and then they whittle it down a little bit there and get down to like maybe 16, then those players can bring their families in. Um, they would be subjected to the same safety and coronavirus testing protocols as everyone else living in the NBA's biosphere, okay? So uh, we'll get to more on that in just a second, but I did want to mention the uh, Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony for the class of 2020. It is being moved to the spring of 2021. There was some talk of trying to move it to a week in October, but it just didn't work out, so it will be the spring. We're talking Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and the late Kobe Bryant headlining that class. Okay, originally it was scheduled for late August. Okay, back to this whole NBA resuming thing. The NBA discussed a comeback plan today with its board of governors. Adam Silver talked with them. And throughout this whole process, there had really been no no date in mind. Players wanted to know what... I saw an interview with Patrick Beverly. He just wants to know, what, what, is there a date in mind? When are we coming back to play? What's going on? Well, Adam Silver announced it less than an hour ago. The, the tentative date that he that he hopes to resume the season is July 31st. Last day in July, that is extremely interesting because that's right around the time that I figured it would start back up. I need to know, guys, somebody needs to tell me, is Kyrie and KD going to come back and take Brooklyn to the promised land and win a championship in this shortened season? I don't care. Put an asterisk next to it if that happens. I don't care. Championships, a championship, a championship. But please let that happen. Let them come back and let them 
you know, go to work because that would be really fun. But uh, here is Ramona Shelburne with more on this proposal. It's going to be 16 teams plus, right? There's, and this is something Woj and I reported on the other day. It's either going to be 20 teams, 24 teams, and probably not 30 teams just because the more teams you have in that bubble, the more risk there is. 20 teams would be the four Western Conference teams. 24 teams could be adding in some Eastern Conference teams. And then you have a couple of regular season games, probably, probably five to seven, and then you have that play-in tournament. So, hey, if, if that's the case, um, I'm all for that. The more teams, the better. Um, hey. Let's get let's get it rolling July 31st. I hope that I hope nothing um there's no hiccups and that 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 is the case. Now the NHL, they made the first steps. They really um dropped the hammer as the first of the major sports to make a decision and it was a big one. They effectively on Tuesday ended the regular season in its tracks. This the regular season is over. The league will move to a 24 team playoff format over its traditional 16-team format. So something to look towards as the NBA, do they follow suit? Okay. The top 12 teams in each conference as of March 12th will qualify, while the remaining seven teams will enter the draft lottery. And um, I'm sorry, as a New Jersey Devils fan, they were one of those seven teams that did not make the playoffs. They could not finish. Yes, if you're doing the math at home, the New Jersey Devils could not finish in the top 77.4% of the league. It's kind of sad considering there's only 31 teams and 24 are making the playoffs. But hey, if they made it, they probably wouldn't have won anyway. The Rangers are in, but what does it really mean? It just gives the Devils another shot to get a number one overall pick with the lottery. And... um. Here is, I believe it's the commissioner of the NHL. I am certain that depending on which team you root for, you can find some element of this package that you might prefer to be done differently. But we believe we have constructed an overall plan that includes all teams that as a practical matter might have had a chance of qualifying for the playoffs when the season was paused. And this plan will produce a worthy Stanley Cup champion who will have run the postseason gauntlet that is unique to the NHL. It is unique, but again, I just mentioned it about the NBA champion this season. This year's Stanley Cup is going to be marred by some controversy over this pandemic and over this different formatting and having 77.4% of the league in the playoffs. But hey, a winner is a winner. A champion is a champion. And speaking of the NHL, there's this uh, there's talk about them having two hub cities where they house uh, these teams, Vegas being one of them because they said any of the uh, major uh, hotels down there could house about 12 different teams or casinos could house about 12 different teams. Uh, here, here's the, that proposal. What the NHL wants to do now is have two hub cities. And yes, Vegas is absolutely a favorite because of the infrastructure. They can have 12 teams in one hotel or casino. The NHL also has a great relationship with the city of Vegas. Ideally, they'd pick one American city, one Canadian city. Canada's restrictions as they are are that people have to quarantine for 14 days if they go over the border. And Gary Bettman pretty much said, unless they ease those restrictions, it's a non-starter for us to go there. So they would pick one of the other finalists, and that's cities like Pittsburgh, Columbus, Dallas, or Minnesota here in the U.S. 
Yeah, Gary Bettman being the commissioner of the NHL. So yeah, it, it remains to be seen, but the NHL, they did drop the hammer first and announcing that they are going straight to the playoffs. So hey, I'm not a big NHL guy, but this is actually kind of enticing and it's going to be fun to watch. I, I will tune in for some of this just to, just to see the teams that are at the bottom of this um, totem pole here at the bottom of the playoffs. Um, see if they can, you know, upset some teams and, and get a win. It's kind of like 2012 when the LA Kings uh, won the Stanley Cup as the eight seed. So, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see what it is. Um, okay, moving right along, we'll talk UFC 250. Dana White finally unveiled the card for UFC 250. The event will take place on June 6th at the Apex facility in Vegas, so what, about a week away? The main event will feature two-weight champion Amanda Nunez. She is a bad B. I mean, she can fight, man, and I would not want to come anywhere close to that ring against her. She is just a absolute savage. She is a beast, and she is probably going to win. She's defending her featherweight title against Felicia Spencer. She will definitely um, want to prove the doubters wrong because she did show some humanity in her last fight. She did show, you know, maybe she isn't as tough to beat as we all think. Here's what Dana White has to say on that. Some people feel like Amanda Nunes looked human in her last fight. So, um, you know, I, I'm sure that her team has been working on things that they think they saw in her last fight, and they're going to come in and try and beat her. But the reality is Amanda Nunes is the goat of female fighting. She's a beast, and she's on top of her game right now, in my opinion. Absolutely couldn't agree more. She is a beast. And if you've never seen her fight, go watch some highlights on YouTube. She is, she could fight with the best of them, with the best of the guys too, probably. I mean, she is... Man, these I don't know what they they put in the water or the food in Brazil, but they can fight these Brazilians. My goodness. Okay, real quick, let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit of soccer. Um, Syria will return on June 20th after an agreement between the league and Italian government. I don't know if I said that right, so my apologies. That is a league in Italy. Over a span of nine days, starting on June 11th, La Liga, the Premier League, and Syria will re will all restart. Bundesliga, we already know in uh, Bundesliga in Germany has already been underway for about two weeks. Um, interestingly enough, though, I did not mention the MLS. So what's going on there with the MLS? I think MLS is going to obviously get going here soon. Now, ideally, the league would like for that to kick off in Orlando with a tournament at Disney Wild World of Sports with the NBA. It's a fluid situation in the sense that there are only two teams in Major League Soccer right now that are not training. And if that opens up, it raises the question, can you get 22, 24 regular season games in your home markets? If you can, and you can do that in those venues, then I don't think the tournament in Orlando is going to be a long one the way initially it was planned for six to eight weeks. So there you have it, that being Taylor Twellman uh, giving you the update on the MLS. So really, here in the U.S., we're starting to sort of get back to some normalcy. I think Governor Murphy here in New Jersey has uh, 
started us on the pathway to stage two where they're going to start opening like daycares and stuff, which I don't know about any of that, but hopefully gyms are starting to open up again. Um, hopefully we could get back to some normalcy and, um, you know, we don't see this second wave, which sort of is a little bit scary to think about. But during the summer months, you know, we want to be able to relax and we want to be able to enjoy our beaches. And But it's the people that are showing up at the Costco's and the people that are showing up wherever else that are not wearing their masks, okay, there was a couple viral videos I saw of Costco where a guy didn't wear his mask, and it's like, really, guy, why do you want to be that one person? And then you see the the bar, the rest, I think it was a bar in Texas, they won't let anybody in if they are wearing a mask, so I, I hate the mask too, but if they're telling us to wear a mask and stay six feet apart, the people telling us are doctors. They're a lot smarter than me. They're a lot smarter than you. Just listen to them for the time being. Things will eventually get back to normal. And in a year or two, we won't even remember that this even happened. Well, until it happens again, but hopefully that doesn't happen either. But anyway, uh, final segment here, guys, on this date in sports. This is a fun one today. We take it back to May 29th, 2017, three years ago. Bryce Harper and Hunter Strickland got into an epic fight. Hunter Strickland absolutely blasts Bryce Harper with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball right on his right hip. Harper is having none of it, charges the mound, and all hell breaks loose. Take a listen. Strickland. Oh! He hits Harper with a fastball. Now Harper points the bat go. Harper's go. heading to the mound. He throws his helmet towards Strickland. They're taking blows from each other on the mound. The benches have cleared. They've come pouring out of the dugouts and bullpens here in San Francisco. There's five guys still holding back Hunter Strickland, dragging him toward the Giants' dugout. I've never seen this. Now, to give you some context, the, these guys had beef from uh, three years prior to that when in the 2014 NLDS, Bryce Harper took Hunter Strickland deep, not once, but twice, concluding with this absolute bomb into McCovey Cove, where Harper decided to stare down Strickland. The set, the kick, the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball deep to right field, and what is it? It is gone! He's done it again! So yeah, he rounds the bases, he stares him down, he stares him down in the dugout. So that's kind of what spawned this little heated rivalry, and it really came to a head in that 2017 game three years ago. Um, coincidentally enough, those two guys have both said that it's water under the bridge. Well, for Strickland, he gets the last laugh because he joined the Nationals a year ago and won a World Series while Bryce Harper joined the Philadelphia Phillies and couldn't even make the playoffs. So, you know, it is what it is. But championships do all the talk, right? Okay, guys, that's going to wrap this show up. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you uh, got your weekly sports fix in or daily sports fix in. I just want to give you a quick rundown of what's on a couple things on TV this weekend that you can catch. Of course, like I said, 64 straight hours of Derek Jeter coverage on MLB Network. Also tonight at 7, this being Friday, um, May 29th. That's only two hours away by the time I upload this, so you might not know about it just yet. But on ESPN, you have an amazing E60 that you won't want to miss. It is called Imperfect, the Roy Halladay story. Um, we started to learn... Uh, 
recently in the uh, in the coming months that Roy Halladay was struggling with addiction and he was really leading this sort of double life leading up to his his plane crash that that he died in a few years back and then on Sunday you have the conclusion of the part uh, of the two-part series on Lance Armstrong part one was absolutely phenomenal I, I loved every bit of it it was riveting um it felt just like the Jordan doc, maybe even a little bit better, probably because they shortened it down and are putting so much into these into two parts. But it's really worth watching. If you have ESPN Plus, you can watch it without the commercials. Otherwise, use your provider, sign in on the ESPN app or on your streaming device on the ESPN app, and you could just stream it that way. Um, but yeah, that should be fun. So enjoy your weekend, guys. Hopefully, we have some nice weather. I golfed a couple days uh, d- uh, earlier in the week, which that was really fun. Got Finally got to leave my house. Okay, so um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Episode 97, I want to say. Yeah, we are almost at triple digits. I can't believe I've been going for this long. It's been a fun ride, and I will continue to produce content as long as there are sports. And it looks like we're getting back to sports slowly but surely. Um, So yeah, enjoy. Keep your social distance distancing in effect, okay? Do not, I repeat, do not go anywhere without a mask. Safety first, people. You don't want to kill your grandparents or anybody else for that matter. But as we slowly get back into things, this is the Pody signing out. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. I will see you back here same time next week.